it's just an impossible task. You know, we we could argue, I guess, a legal case of of how and and what transpired, but you know, the the burden of proof is very much on the defendant to show the contamination, and there's just no way of doing it eight years after the fact. By that stage of my career, I'd been swimming for the country for ten years, so. My, my race day routine was pretty set, so I could tell you very much in generalities what I did that day, but down to the minute by minute breakdown of exactly what I did, when, how, is, is just impossible to, to show and, and to prove. A lot of our education is about doing the right thing, you know, avoiding contamination, you know, knowing knowing the responsibilities of an athlete, but when you actually get into the, the prosecution of it, it's a, it's a whole nother world. Science and technology is constantly advancing and this means that we can use the advances of technology and science in the last 10 years um, and apply them to samples from the past. Welcome to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Our mission is to protect the integrity of sport and the health and welfare of those who participate in Australian sport. Hello and welcome to Sport Integrity Australia's podcast Onside. I'm Tim Gavel. With the Beijing Winter Games just over two months away, Sport Integrity Australia has launched an e-learning course to help Olympians, Paralympians and their support staff navigate the integrity rules in place at the Games. Developed in conjunction with Drug Free Sport New Zealand and the US Anti-Doping Agency, the course includes information on testing, whereabouts, international medications, rules about betting on events and much more. Check it out on our online learning platform at elearning.sportintegrity.gov.au. The World Anti-Doping Agency's new prohibited list comes into force on the 1st of January 2022. The list sets out what substances and methods are prohibited both in and out of competition and which substances are banned in particular sports. We'll discuss some of the major changes later in this episode. On this podcast, we'll look at the issue of low-level detections of banned substances in athletes' urine and blood samples. Improvements in science and technology in lab testing means that substances can now be detected at much lower levels than in the past. These low-level detections have caused some controversy in anti-doping circles in recent years because of uncertainty of what a low level of a banned substance in a sample might mean. It could be the result of microdosing, detection at the end of a cycle, or inadvertent doping from a contaminated product. Our guest today will be triple Olympic medalist Brenton Rickard and Sport Integrity Australia's Chief Science Officer, Dr Naomi Spears. Brenton Rickard was tested on the 1st of August 2012 after competing in the 200 metres breaststroke at the London Olympics. His sample was retested in 2020, eight years later. The reanalysis tested positive to a small amount of a banned diuretic and the International Olympic Committee started proceedings in the Court of Arbitration for Sport to void all of Brenton's results from the London Olympics, including his bronze medal won in the 4x100 medley relay where he swam in the heats. It was a devastating blow to Brenton and he declared his innocence and challenged the IOC move. Then nine months later, the IOC withdrew the charges following a rule change by the World Anti-Doping Agency, which said that low levels of some substances could be considered to be the result of contamination in over-the-counter medications such as paracetamol. 
was deemed that in Brenton's case, the level of the banned substance in his reanalysis was below the threshold for that substance. Despite the doping charges being dropped, it was a tough time for Brenton, and he's now helping Sport Integrity Australia in understanding the process from an athlete's point of view. We'll speak with Brenton in just a moment on Onside. As we've just mentioned, Australian swimmer Brenton Rickard is working with Sport Integrity Australia to assist the agency in a range of ways after his case with the International Olympic Committee. And Brenton Rickard joins us now on Onside. And Brenton, firstly, how are you now that it's been a few months since the IOC withdrew those doping charges? How are you feeling? Uh, good. Good. I, I still feel like um, I need to, to shake the shadow of a, of a doping case um, properly, but it's it's nice that it's it's settled and I can I can move on with my life. So you still feel that stigma, do you? Yeah, I, I guess you know working in sport like I do um, post swimming career, I, I still feel like uh, it it lingers. It's it's still there, um, and I guess I probably just need to yeah have have that next step taken in my life, whether that's uh, professionally or or something of that manner to uh to to finally put it to bed and and move on so the people that you speak to around sport do they understand that the ioc actually withdrew the the charges yeah i I think i think that's uh eventually gotten out there i think uh it's a bit of a tough one that media wise it was a big story when when it was reported that that i was on on or facing charges and conversely when you're found innocent media outlets don't necessarily think it's that big of a deal and don't, don't really want to run the story. So I think coverage-wise, um, it wasn't nearly as big of a story when you're cleared as it is when you're when you're charged. So um, I think there's still a little bit to do in that space to make sure everyone knows the ins and outs of the case. But um, ultimately, for me, it's I'm just glad it's over. The, the result is the best I could have hoped for. Yes, because at the time you were worried about the impact that it would have on your fellow swimmers in the relay team, weren't you? That was the thing that was hitting you you hardest. Oh, absolutely. When when you kind of get notified um, and, and just the sheer disbelief, but then you realise that the reality is that six, six people were facing losing an, an Olympic medal um, from something that wasn't my fault and, and, and was very hard to prove my innocence, you know, eight years ago. Um, it's a, it's a pretty tough burden to carry, um, and and that relief of knowing that yeah their their results our results as a team were were protected as well as I guess my my reputation as a as an athlete as well. Uh, just on that issue that you mentioned there, uh, what was it like trying to prove how the banned substance got into your system eight years after the event? How did you feel about that? <laughs> uh, hopeless is 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 the simple way of putting it. It's. Um, it's just an impossible task, and and you know we we could argue, I guess, a legal case of 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 how and and what 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 transpired. But you know the the burden of proof is very much on the defendant to show the contamination, and there's just no way of doing it eight years after the fact. So um, understanding that, I guess, from a legality point of view. And and the tough place it puts you in as the defendant is was incredibly hard to to get your head around and and deal with with emotionally. So, um, you know, I, I guess I'm I'm fortunate that our legal argument, along with other legal arguments around the world, 
got me to the right result, but yeah, it's it's a very tough place for for anyone to be in. So I can imagine it's it's tough remembering what you did eight years ago. Uh, that, yeah, that's the hardest yeah, part, isn't like, it? Yeah, the the true the true details of exactly what you did on that day is 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 very tough. I guess by that stage of my career, I'd been swimming for the country for ten years, so my my race day routine was pretty set. So I could tell you very much um, in in generalities what I did that day. But down to the minute by minute breakdown of exactly what I did, when, how, um, etc. Yeah, is is just impossible to to show and and to prove. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you say in your own words how the result came about? Um, as I said, I, I think our argument paired with some other other arguments and similar cases around the world um, gave gave the doping authorities pause to to investigate. Um, diuretics and and how they um, can come into an athlete system and so um, without going too too far down the rabbit hole as as the type of um, drug they are or, or chemical they are they they can be contaminants in I guess the, the most likely class is non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs so mm-hmm. a paracetamol an ibuprofen any of these things can contain small traces of, of diuretics and these these concentrations are minute and and well within the standards of um, I guess good good manufacturing practice for for pharmaceutical companies but um, I guess the anti-doping agencies have done such a good job of improving their tests that their tests are so so finely tuned that they can pick them up and and the way the rules had were written um, especially I guess, Nine years ago, twelve eight years ago, from when my test was, um, didn't didn't allow any subtlety that contamination could happen of that nature, and therefore wouldn't be the fault of of the athlete just taking a a um, non non prescription um, medication. I guess you're well educated now in the whole process. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and I'd like to think I was well educated then, but when you actually get into the process of of a case, I think a lot of our a lot of our education is about um, doing the right thing, you know, avoiding contamination, you know, knowing knowing the responsibilities of an athlete. But when you actually get into the the prosecution of it, it's a it's a whole nother world, and um, you still feel a little a little lost in there at times. But um, as I said, ultimately the right result was was made. Where do you think the process can be improved then? Um, I, I think. As I said, I think anti-doping agencies have tried very hard to, um, I guess, catch cheats. They, you know, they, they've improved testing. I think the retest program um, in its base philosophy is is a great idea that if, if people are taking highly advanced drugs that we don't have a test for, uh, we should be able to test them in the future to to find to find those drugs i think what you find is a a law of unintended consequence that you retest things and you pick up minute traces of contamination and ultimately you leave an athlete without any real hope of of proving their innocence so understanding as as testing improves as um different processes are put in place to try to catch um people deliberately cheating you also need to adjust policies and rules to then not 
punish innocent people for things outside of their control, like me. So I think that needs to be at the forefront of, of WADA's mind. Um, and then I think I think Australia, and I don't want to bag out the sports industry in Australia, but I think there's an issue there that we rightly view doping as a real cardinal sin, but cases like mine show that you can end up in this world without doing anything wrong and and be punished for it um, considerably. I work in sport and basically as soon as I got notified of my case, I, I had to resign work. I, I couldn't I couldn't no longer do my job under the way uh, the, the Sports Australia framework work in terms of being a staff member under a doping investigation, which um, is, is a it just adds another pressure to someone that's reeling from from something that's pretty heartbreaking in its own right to then have that professional and economic pressure lumped on top of that. I'll ask you in a moment to just to the emotional range that you've been through in the last year or so, but uh, what role do you hope to play in the future for agencies such as Sport Integrity Australia? Look, I'd like to think I can provide a very balanced perspective on wanting to continue the fight against doping, but also um, understanding that innocent people are getting roped into this this system wrongly and and that we need to um to balance that equation a bit to to make sure innocent people are given given the right to a fair trial given given the opportunity to prove their innocence because um the system is is very stacked as against if there's a positive test you're you're guilty and and it's it's really almost impossible to prove your innocence and and that's what we're finding more and more of, and you know, the the rule change in my case is obviously a a nice way to um to hopefully lessen that. But I still think there are examples out there of of it happening, um, and and I think also understanding, you know, the the impact it has on the individual and and how we can work towards um the welfare of an individual. You know, in a lot of ways, you get removed from your your daily environment. You, like I said, I, I had to leave parts of my work. You know, athletes kind of get, you know, shunned out the door of their club or their, their sport, and and that's actually more isolating and, and almost increasing the the stress and trouble on the athlete. So there's got to be a balance there of how do we, um, yes, let let the process run its course, um, but also not just absolutely throw throw the um, the athlete in question to the wolves. And how important is the change to the threshold, which allows uh, the positive test to be considered as being the result of contamination from over-the-counter medicine? How important is that change? Well, it, it's hugely, because as I said, like the, the burden of proof is is on the defendant and, and proving contamination, especially in a case like mine of a of a retest years after the fact, it's, it's virtually impossible. So understanding that contaminations of this of this class of substance diuretics in particular happen it, in in common medications that athletes can be taken for legitimate medical reasons um, and therefore it's impossible to protect yourself from that and and I think this this mindset of of wada and, and anti-doping agencies to go well what's what's a reasonable um, burden to put on athletes to to make sure they're 
they're doing the right thing. Because if you can't if you can't take an ibuprofen or a paracetamol without risk of contamination, you know, you end up putting putting athletes at risk for for what they're doing um, on a day to day basis. So um, to me, it's a hugely important first step, and and I think that that research into contaminations of classes of of um, contaminants just needs to continue and extend because I, I don't think um, diuretics are the only ones that could could be affecting people. You've touched on how it affected you in terms of your, your employment, et cetera. Um, after the, the news came through that the IOC were pursuing these charges, uh, what range of emotions did you go through? How, how tough was it for you emotionally? Yeah, uh, like I... I can't understate how, how tough it's been. Um, you know, you, you kind of just in that absolute shock and disbelief phase, probably for a day or two, just, you know, thinking that, no, nah, there must be a mistake. They've got the wrong sample. It wasn't me. You know, I know what I did, how I how I carried myself, what I took um, as an athlete, and there was no way that I ever deliberately cheated or even was reckless and potentially taking something that could be a, a, a risk. Um, but then you kind of, I guess, get the education of where they've gone with testing since my retirement and, and down to how small these levels are of of finding um, contaminants or, or substances. And you go, well, yeah, in that case, it, it could have been this, it could have been, you know, I, I had Panadol, I had whatever, like any of these things could um, could have been a source of a contamination and, and you kind of scramble for a few days and I was very fortunate I had um, some some friends and teammates who, who work in, in this space um, and, and know people and pointed me in the right direction of a good legal counsel to speak to, et cetera. Um, and then, and then, kind of the hopelessness section that that they give you the rundown and say, well, look, you've you've got to show this substance on this day is what I took, and here it is, and we've tested it, and here's the contamination, which, you know, eight years after the fact is impossible. So, you kind of you're you're you go from scrambling and desperate to prove your innocence to just feeling. Um, hopeless and, and then with that comes the isolation and, and the burden you carry I, you know I got told in January um, I guess that's 20, 2020 um, and, and my hearing wasn't until November mm. so I had 10 months of of carrying this weight around that of impending doom basically that my my career I was going to let my my sport down my teammates down um, and and you just have to hold it inside because you can't tell everyone because that only, that only makes it worse. So yeah. um, it it's just a weight you carry. Um, and, and I was very fortunate. One, you know, that when the day arrived and I told my teammates, um, they they were wonderful. They they trusted me. They believe in me. They they knew the the type of of person I. Am and 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 what I did as a member of the swim team. So um, it wasn't like they they doubted me or, or <clears throat> pointed the finger at me. Um, and likewise, um, ultimately to get the result that that we got was was a blessing as well. But it it just 
yeah, it just hangs with you for such a long time. And, and as I said now, I'm kind of sitting here and, and applying for jobs and, and one way or another not being successful and you can't help but kind of question, oh, does this have something to do with that? Are people questioning my integrity because mm. I, I came up against doping um, charges wrongly in the past? I, I don't know. I can't answer that either. But um, as I said, you, you just kind of have to play play the hand you dealt and, and try to try to move on now that it's over. You mentioned there that it was hard talking about it at the time. Do you feel much, I guess, uh, more freely these days in talking about it and, and, and expressing what happened and, and what you've been through? Yeah, I, I mean, um, I guess w- when the when the news came public, it, it was actually quite a relief. You know, as I said, I, I'd, I'd, I'd carried it with me for the better place of, of 10 months by then. So although it was hard that it was in, in the open and, and that I, you have that almost feeling of, of, of shame or guilt um, deep down, even though you know you've done something wrong, that you, you reflect badly on, on those around you. Um, the fact that it was out there and people could, you know, call me and check up on me or, um, um, or, or, or I could just answer, yeah, questions on it did, did give me a, a sense of, um, of freedom. It, it did. It was a relief to kind of have it, have that weight lifted, um, but it's yeah, it's it's tough either way. Hopefully, time will heal. Yes. Bridget. Okay. Thanks very much for joining us on Onside today. It's been great to talk to you about your experience, and looking forward to to working with you at Sport Integrity Australia. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Our next guest is somebody well-versed in this field, Sport Integrity Australia's Chief Science Officer, Dr Naomi Spears. Uh, Naomi, can we firstly look at the reasons why samples are kept for 10 years and retested, noting, of course, that in Brenton's sample, it was tested eight years after the event. The ability to store samples and reanalyse them is a really important part of the anti-doping program, um, and it has a really significant deterrence effect. So science and technology is constantly advancing. And this means that we can use the advances of technology and science in the last 10 years um, and apply them to samples from the past. So that means that athletes are not only, doping athletes are not only against the science and technology now, but the science and technology of the future. And what can you tell us about low level doping cases like in Brenton's case? What does it mean if there is a tiny amount in a sample? If there's a tiny amount in a sample, it could be caused by a quite a few different reasons. Um, So one could be that an athlete purposefully used a doping agent um, at a normal dose um, and we've tested them quite a while after they've used it. So there's only a small amount remaining in the system. Um, Another is what we call microdosing and an athlete is purposefully using a doping agent but instead of using what would be a normal dose, they're using quite a low dose and maybe to try and avoid detection Um, So in that case, they might only have a small amount in their system at any time. Um, And a third reason is inadvertent doping or accidental doping. So an athlete might have used a contaminated supplement, um, potentially a contaminated medication, or they might have come into contact with a doping agent some other way. You mentioned their contamination, also microdosing, and the end of a cycle 
Is there any way you can tell which of these is most likely in a case? From a single scientific result, so the level in one person's sample at one point in time, we can't tell. That's why it's important to have the information, all the information of the case and consider that together. In that context, the scientific information can contribute to what we know. And is there a danger that low levels detected using advanced technology could be the result of contamination? That's definitely possible. As we detect lower and lower amounts, um, then more and more contamination might be detected. You mentioned there contaminations. How can contaminations happen? So it could happen through a few different ways. So the first is supplements, and that's the main risk for Australian athletes. Um, unfortunately, supplement products don't always list on the label the ingredients that they contain. So they could contain a prohibited ingredient and it not be listed there, or the prohibited ingredient might be named, but with a weird plant or chemical name. So it's difficult to detect. And that's why we always um, reiterate to athletes that supplements are not risk-free. Um, but if you're going to use one, make sure that it's batch tested. What about medications and, and shared kitchen equipment? Yeah, so medications is one that's come up recently. Um, and there have been examples such as Brenton's and ones overseas where athletes have tested positive from using a genuine pharmaceutical um, which was contaminated with really low levels of a prohibited substance. Um, and because of that, WADA have recently um, changed some rules to make that um, more fair to athletes. All right. What, what can athletes do then to protect themselves from inadvertent cases? So the most important thing, as we spoke about supplements, make sure that you understand the risks. No supplement is risk-free, but if you're going to use one, use one that's batch tested and you can find those in the Sport Integrity Australia app. Another important thing for athletes is to make sure that you record and declare any medications that you use. Um, and if you're travelling overseas, particularly in uh, China um, and South America, then make sure that you record the meat that you eat as well so that all that information is available if you were to have a positive test. Of course, ultimately, though, athletes are responsible for any substance found in their body. In Brendan's case, of course, the IOC withdrew from that case because there'd been a rule change relating to the threshold. Is that common? It's not common for the rules to change, no, but it's important that we continue to assess the rules and change them as needed. Um, but any other athletes who are in the same situation as Brenton would have been, give, should have, would have been given the same um, withdrawal on the change of the rules. Brenton has mentioned that he is going to be helping out Sport Integrity Australia. How, how important is it to have a debrief from an athlete who has been through this process? It's so important for us to keep talking to athletes and learning from them. Athletes are the, the focus of sport um, and we need to make sure that our systems support them in the best way and speaking to athletes who've been through processes like this is so valuable to us. And I mentioned at the start of the episode, the new prohibited list comes into force from the 1st of January 2022. There has been some major changes, particularly around salbutamol and glucocorticoids. Uh, can we start with salbutamol? Can you explain that change? Yeah, so there's been a change in the amount of salbutamol that you can use um, without a therapeutic use exemption. So previously, um, you could have eight puffs of a Ventolin or other asthma puffer with salbutamol over 12 hours. Um, that's now changed to be six puffs over eight hours. So if you need more than that, then you'll need to consider whether you should um, apply in advance for a therapeutic use exemption or ensure you've got sufficient medical records should you need to apply um, retrospectively. 
There's also been a major change to glucocorticoids, uh, commonly known as cortisone, hasn't there? So there has been that change as well. Yes, so coming um, 1 January, um, all glucocorticoid injections are prohibited in competition. So previously it's been some types of injections, but now it'll be all of them. Um, So it means that athletes and medical staff need to be aware of that change. Um, Primarily athletes will need to most likely keep a medical file um, to ensure that they've got all the records surrounding that injection should they need to apply for a TUE. Um, But there's a lot of information on our website, um, some really good simple fact sheets for athletes and doctors about the change and what they need to do. Uh, Naomi, why have they made those changes? So with the salbutamol change, um, it's reflecting what use might cause athletes to go over the threshold that's set for salbutamol. So they've changed the number of doses um, in a time period to keep athletes under that threshold. And with the glucocorticoids, um, there's been some medical research that has shown that all injectable routes of administration um, can have a similar impact on the body. And so um, WADA have changed the rules to be consistent for all injections. Naomi, thanks very much for joining us on site. A lot of changes, a lot happening in this world, isn't there? There certainly is. Thank you very much for that. That is Dr. Naomi Spears. Thanks, Tim. And now for our segment from Left Field, where we answer a question from the public. Hi, my name's Annabelle and I'm a clean sport educator with Sport Integrity Australia. The question I have from Left of Field today is, do you have a case to plea if you test positive to a batch-tested supplement? Although batch-tested products are the lowest-risk supplements, they do not provide a guarantee against testing positive, and you can still face an anti-doping sanction if you test positive from one of these products. The use of batch-tested supplements and evidence of research into the ingredients may assist in getting a reduced sanction by reducing your fault in committing the anti-doping rule violation. To Sport Integrity Australia's knowledge, there have been no cases in Australia or overseas where an athlete has tested positive to a batch-tested supplement. However, some athletes overseas who have tested positive to supplements that have been mislabeled have sought to sue supplement companies for damages. This would be a separate civil case and would be separate to any anti-doping legal proceedings. The anti-doping regime works under strict liability. That means that if an athlete returns a positive reading for a prohibited substance, even if it comes from a product which is mislabeled, athletes could still face a sanction for having the prohibited substance in their system. And thanks for listening to Onside this year and thanks very much to all of our guests. It is shaping up to be a big year in sport in 2022 with the Winter Olympics and Paralympics, the FIFA Men's World Cup and the Birmingham Commonwealth Games. I'm Tim Gable, and we'll be back with more on Onside in 2022. You've been listening to Onside, the official podcast of Sport Integrity Australia. Send in your podcast questions or suggestions to media at sportintegrity.gov.au. For more information on Sport Integrity Australia, please visit our website, www.sportintegrity.gov.au, or check out our Clean Sport app.